Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up in a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, there's a big push to get you to buy another type of insurance. I'm going to tell you about it and why you should avoid the scaremongering. And later, your boss may love you, but doesn't love giving you raises. What are you going to do about that? We're going to talk. We're going to talk about something else, too, and that is the affordability of housing, construction for businesses, apartments, you name it. We've got a serious problem in the United States with affordability because construction costs have gone kaflooey, gone crazy. You talk to any builder and he or she will tell you the biggest problem they have is getting enough workers who are qualified to do the work and meeting construction schedules. But you know there's a solution to this that is right before our eyes that only there are little hints of people seizing the opportunity it presents. And that is a weird one. Using shipping containers as what you use for housing, retail businesses, apartments, individual homes and apartments, schools, and around the world and in spots around the United States, people are doing that. Shipping containers in a quick hurry can be made into suitable housing or a retail business. The other day I was at a shopping center that was partially traditional construction and partially shipping containers. And the creativity used with those shipping containers, they look like an art form. Following the devastating earthquake that hit New Zealand, uh, areas that had had their commercial districts just devastated were able to get back up and running in a big hurry by using shipping containers. And we in the United States have a massive supply of these things just sitting unloved at various ports of entry. They stack up as high as you can see, as far as you can see, unloved, unused. And they can be very quickly converted into housing or obviously retail. And so we miss opportunities when we look at problems only with the solutions we're used to instead of looking for solutions that require, excuse the pun, out-of-the-box thinking. In Orlando, there's a new retail development that is almost entirely shipping containers. And it's really good-looking. So uh, there are these opportunities for us to do things quicker and more efficiently than we're doing in the United States. And the opportunities in housing, where so often 
local zoning only recognizes traditional sticks-up building, fails to appreciate or account for the issue of affordability for so many Americans, both as individuals trying to live on their own or as families trying to afford a home, we've got to embrace the opportunities that these shipping containers offer. And that's not the only kind of solution, but it's one that we should absolutely embrace. And you may wonder, could a shipping container be anything other than ugly? Yes, it can. Just look online. Look at some of the pictures of some of the developments using them. You'll be surprised. Jamie joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jamie. Hey, Clark. It's a real pleasure and honor to be able to speak with you. Well, great to have you here, Jamie. And congratulations. You got a daughter who's done with school, huh? Yeah, well... It's one of those uh, mixed congratulations. I'm great she finally got through. It took her six and a half years. But now, of course... Well, how long did it take John Belushi in Animal House? Was it 12 years or something? (laughs) What did it take him? (laughs) So six and a half is not terrible. Well, no, it isn't. (laughs) But as a result, you know, we pay intuition. She's accumulated some debt, and so she's, she's now got over over $30,000 in debt, and even with that, we've been, my wife and I, we've been paying some of her tuition just to try and keep that down. But now the debt is due, and she's, it, it, she got notice, I think it's a little over 7%. Um, and, you know, so I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to try and finance it. All right, so I, first, I, first things first, she must not have taken advantage of federal student loans that for the last several years, the interest rates were down in the threes, fixed. If she's at seven, she must have gone into private student loans, which are only a last resort, never a first. That's a pretty high rate. Yeah, yeah, it is. And the payment is a pretty high payment. So, And she doesn't have any credit. So, you know, because I was thinking, well, you know, you can go to a bank and maybe get some money, you know, at a four or five percent rate but she's got no credits her credit scores is, is terrible so her rate would be high on that now wait 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 her how well, could her credit home equity loan now let's talk you know, for a minute you want at four percent um but then it really cements us to this to her loan right loan. right right so she should take responsibility what is her degree in what kind of work is she going to be doing uh, she's going to be doing uh, social services and, and uh, counseling in in uh, social services settings. And does she have a job yet? Uh, she's a waitress. So she hadn't been able to find a job using no. what she studied no. yet. No. Okay, that's a that's a tough burden. Um, how aggressively is she looking for a job? Um, you know, I think she, I think now, <laughs> now that she saw the price tag, I think that's going to be an incentive for her. Um, but she's in Maine, you know, and the Maine is not a it's not a big labor market up there, and and uh, so uh, so I think I think she'll I think she'll try, but uh, you know, she might she's going to need some help along the way for sure. Yeah. So um, Maine, you know, has the oldest population in the United States. If I remember right, the oldest average population. And there's enormous need for people 
with her skill set in uh, senior facilities and involved with aging. Uh-huh. And that may be an area she hasn't looked at with the degree she's got and the skill set she has, but I would definitely encourage her to look in that area as a potential employment. She's looking at monthly payments of, what, about 275 a month? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I think that's about what it came out. And, wow, that was uh, quick math in my head. Okay, so uh, even if she's working as a waitress till she finds what she wants to do, she can come up with 275 a month. Yeah. Yeah. And I do not want you to take on this as your responsibility. I think you said it yourself a minute ago. You said when she saw what her payment was going to be, it got her more focused on a career. <laughs> That's true. So I think I think you don't ride to the rescue here. Yeah, you know, well, you you indulge her. You indulge her six and a half years in school, and at two hundred seventy-five a month. She can make that happen. Okay. And let her be responsible for these. So I would and not I'm look at. I would not. We're still going to want to be a safety net for her in the event something happens. But I, I think you're right. We'll just say, you know, go out and see if you can find a good job that pays more than waitressing. But even as a waitress, that's not a hall pass for you to make those minimum payments for her. She should be making those. I, the discipline needs to start with her because if you just come not as a backstop like you just described, but instead you're in first position, then there's never a sense of urgency on her part to take ownership of the loans and be the one who's paying on them. I think she needs that discipline in order to get her moving towards, hey, I really got to get going on getting this job and let her try that senior thing I talked about and see if that generates any job leads for her. Best to her. Matthew's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Matthew. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. So your wife's credit card, though, isn't good. What happened? So a few, about two months ago, I was uh, just checking the cards as I usually do in the morning, and I saw that a charge came across on her card for about $900. I called her and asked her if she did it. She said no. So I called the company that the charge is actually made at and gave them the credit card number and said, hey, um, you know, I think this was used fraudulently. Can y'all cancel that? And they said they couldn't cancel it, but they refunded the card and refunded the amount. Well, then I go to the bank and reported it and reported the card. So the bank uh, just took the took the little charge straight off, but nothing with the uh, refunded money. And so my biggest question was, do I need to wait around for the banks to kind of figure out that little extra that they Wait, did wait, wait. You got the money it? twice? Yeah, so I got the money back twice. Okay. Tell your bank. <laughs> Just yeah, tell them. I figured. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be in a position where you're like, hey, I got one over on the bank. Everybody hates the banks yeah. anyway. I scored one on them. Nah. No. Tell them you realized, you just realized that you got the refund twice. Right. And uh, just that's how you tell them and say, 
how do I make sure you get your money back? Okay. And leave it to them administratively, and they may tell you, you know, we hate you, Matthew. You're wasting our time. I got to get to the next call. Why are you trying to give us our money back? <laughs> and there used yeah. people calling yeah, and saying surprised. the other thing. So all I want you to do is do the right thing, and it'll be up to the bank to do what okay. it should do. But they may they may tell you that uh, stop bothering us and just go away. But at least tell them. At least so. Yeah, I was kind of enjoying the uh, negative balance, so we weren't paying any uh, any kind of interest or anything. For right, I got so it. Actually yeah, nice. But yeah. it's best to do the right thing. No problem. Okay, take care. I got to tell you something we talked about on the air before with uh, when I bought a bicycle on a dot com and they never charged me for it and or actually they had charged me for it and then they accidentally refunded it and i called customer no service at the company and kept telling them that i needed to pay them money and the person was like so annoyed with me that i was wasting their time and never i've still have not paid for that bicycle it feels wrong feels terrible at least i called them and said hey i owe you money Today's Clark Rageous moment is about people trying to scare you into spending money you don't need to. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. We got a pitch. We got pitches from PR outfits all the time. I mean, I don't even know how many dozens we get every day. And we got one that's all written in a way that a news reporter could put quotes right into a story. And it's about how much fear parents have paying tuition for private school or college that their son or daughter is going to drop out and then they're going to be out all the tuition money. And that parents have this intense fear about losing this money. So here's the thing. The pitch about buying insurance is really strong from schools. I don't know if they get commissioned for pitching the insurance or not, tuition, refund, reimbursement, whatever. And yeah, there are people who something will happen and they drop out of school more often at college than if somebody's going private school through 12th grade. But it can happen at any level, any point. So the money you lay out is a lot and the fear is there, but the chances that someone will drop out in the midst of a semester quarter term or in the case of private school within the year is really really small people may leave a school at the end of a term people may leave a private school at the end of a year in k through 12 but the odds of leaving mid-year or midterm are so low that spending the money on the premiums is something that I don't advise or recommend at all. So 
when you get that pitch for the protection, protection, and all the scare stats are thrown at you about the costs and all the rest, don't worry, be happy, don't spend that money. You can't insure your life against every possible event. And this is money better in your pocket. There's a culture in corporate America working against your wallet. I want to tell you how to fight back. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make, but also like to help you make more money when I can. After the financial scandals, the banking scandals of last decade, it's been 10 years now, and there were years that the job pickings were extremely lean, and employers became brutal to their workers, either out of absolute necessity to try to keep the doors open or because they were taking advantage of the situation in the labor market. And so this mentality took hold in corporate America to be as stingy with workers as possible. And raises, we don't do raises. Or, oh, well, you're a top, top performer, so we're going to grant you a 1.4% raise, which is the maximum we can under our guidelines. Now, we'd love to give you more because you are such an outstanding performer, but guidelines are guidelines. I mean, this is the lame corporate mentality. And you can either say, okay, or you can know how to be a better negotiator. So you got to break their patterns. You got to break how they're thinking. And you don't want to do it in a way that it's a boxing match because you're going to end up with a bloody nose in a boxing match. And even if they're afraid they're going to lose you and they do something for you, people are going to hold grudges. And they're going to come back and get you for it. So you want to be smart about this. If you feel like your skills and experience and your effort and your value to the firm should get you a larger paycheck, then the key is to go test the waters outside of that employer. I find so often when people are frustrated about the pay they make, they're, com- they're negotiating with themselves, which is what you're doing if you're frustrated and you don't go see if there actually is more green across the street, more money for you, maybe better benefits, better promotion path. A lot of times we jump across the street and the grass is not really greener. See, you don't want to be impulsive, but you got to test your value elsewhere. If you feel like where you are, they're not being generous enough. But do not, regardless of whether you check out other opportunities or you just are frustrated you're not making enough, do not ever become confrontational with your employer and the best you can have a person who is a mentor to you who's an experienced person who you can befriend and you can talk to and not complain just say you know how do I get promoted around here what are the things I can do that make me more valuable here are there 
um, training programs I should take. You want to show your go-getter and that you want to know how you make yourself more valuable to the place you are. And people love being asked for information. They don't like being confronted or challenged. So the, the more you uh, basically are interviewing people for information in your firm, the more likely you're noticed, you're not confrontational, you're somebody who's obviously interested in the business. You ask questions like, how can I be more valuable to this company? Again, you're not saying, how do I get more money out of you? It's how do I make more money for you? And people respect that, that you're trying to be more relevant, more valuable. Because today, with this mentality that, well, you should be happy we wrote you a paycheck, that 10-year cycle of treating you like you're disposable or something is a problem. I mean, look what's happened is corporate profits have gone up and up and up. Companies have continued to squeeze employees on wages. And you're only going to get more money in that kind of mentality where, what, you want any of this? This is all for me. This is for me. Is when you clearly demonstrate you have market value, number one, or demonstrate why you are more valuable to them than what you're being paid right now. Raymond is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Raymond. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. It's nice to talk with you. I'm a big fan for many years. Well, thank you very much, Raymond. You're interested in joining me in real estate investing. I would love to. I'd love to. I'd, so about a year ago, I got involved in uh, one of the peer-to-peer companies for doing just loans. And I like the experience and I like the flexibility and all that stuff. And I'm wondering if there's something that's commensurate with doing the real estate. And I've heard that there are uh, the the crowdsourced real estate companies to do that with, but I just wanted to get your take on it. So um, first of all, which one of the peer-to-peers are you in? Are you in Prosper, or Lending Club, or another? A lending Club. And how has it been? What kind of, after charge-offs and stuff, what kind of rate of return are you seeing? About six and a half. Six and a half is great. I mean, you know, you can't earn it's not equivalent risk but you certainly can't earn that with idle cash and a cd or savings account that's true yes i've been in lending club and prosper for i guess about two years now and one of them i'm earning actually i gotta i gotta look at the two of them i let me just say in general i'm earning similar territory to where you are two years in and are you picking the investments, the the loans that you fund, or are you letting their algorithm pick for you? Yeah, I'm letting the algorithm pick for now. Um, I wanted to get into individual picking, but I just haven't had the time. Okay, so I, you know, I didn't have an interest in actually picking the individual funds. So 
I'm doing like you are. I'm letting the algorithm do it. And I, I have had uh, a number of loans go into charge-off status, but overall, I'm still making a good return. Now let's go to your question about the real estate kind of thing. You see, you don't want to own an individual property just like we're talking about with Lending Club. You don't want to own something and have to manage it and pick tenants and all that. You want to just go into a fund of some kind. That's true. Um, I've been investing in REITs for years, um, and somebody uh, recently got me in interested in actually doing real estate, you know, um, being a landlord and all that stuff. And I, and I thought, well, that might not be my cup of tea. It might be better to get into something like this first. Um, so, so here I am. So I'm a big believer in the barbell theory on real estate that you either own and actively manage real estate yourself or that you go really wide like you've been doing, being in REITs, but I go wider. I only do um, REIT funds, you know, where it's a fund of several REITs together. There's a, you can go in a REIT index fund. The reason I like those is the expenses are like nothing. You pay, um, like Vanguard's, you pay a quarter of a point a year. And because everything's, uh, transparent in that you don't have to worry that anybody's bearing expenses on you in things or whatever you can go in something like the cohen and steers realty fund there's not as low cost as a read index but is considered to be over the years one of the best um, funds to invest in a widely diversified real estate portfolio lately though all the calls i've been getting have been about these uh, real estate pools where you go in with a relatively small number of people and they're private placements, if you will, and you're investing in a very small pool of real estate at potentially much higher expenses. Stated expenses will usually be 1% to 2% a year, but then there's all the hidden expenses as well. And I don't recommend that. Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dave. Oh, hi, Clark. It's great to talk to you. Well, great to have you uh, here. And I love your question. Okay. Here's, here's My wife and I, we brown bag our lunch to work. And we, we avoid sugary drinks. But we're really hooked on flavored seltzers. And we probably take, we each take two uh, to work each day. And we might even drink one at home. And, you know, we buy store brand on sale, and we probably average about 20 cents a can. But uh, now I'm wondering if, if we should buy one of the machines that will make it for us. Uh, but I'm hesitant to lay out that kind of money. And then I, uh, just looking, researching it, I see that there's the ongoing cost of you have to buy the CO2 tanks with it. So I'm wondering if it's something that, that, that's even, that, that we could actually save money on. So we're talking about getting a soda stream? Yeah, I guess that's the uh, yeah that's the big brand that's out yeah. There, so yeah. if you if you get a soda stream and you just make carbonated water, you know, just make sparkling water from it, not flavored, it's yeah. a slam dunk that it's so much cheaper than you buying any kind of sparkling water. When you start doing soda stream and you're doing flavored, 
sparkling water, then your cost advantage is much narrower between it and buying a store brand uh, flavored sparkling water. Because if you're buying store brand in the big in the big bulk packs and you're paying 20 cents a can you're paying about a penny and a half an ounce you're not going to have a huge price advantage going soda stream oh i thought the flavors the price of the flavors would have been negligible because they were concentrated but i guess that's not the case no i mean you can you can run the numbers yourself but there's the soda stream market they've done so well with people who want carbonated water which is a huge market unflavored carbonated water which is a massive market now and then the soda stream price advantage is absolutely gigantic oh because they're replacing perrier right well or or any or any uh you know as they call it now the sparkling beverage category but when you have to buy the the flavored packets to go with it that's where if you you gave me already you already set me up by buying the less expensive store brand flavored Uh water in your case i just don't know that you'd save enough to make it worth doing so maybe just keep buying those store brands and especially when they're on sale bill is with us on the clark howard show hi bill hi clark how are you doing today great thank you we're going to talk about your mom huh yeah First of all, I kind of I feel like I, uh, I ought to be saying that old standard line, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> well, it's great to have you here. Yeah, the situation is, uh, Mom, is uh, she's, she's 88 years old. Her health is uh, slowly fading. Sooner or later, she is going to pass away. And I'm just looking for some resources about, you know, what to do should I, uh, you know, go over to her house and find her deceased. Now, oh. my, my wife has been through this with both of her parents, and I, I know I can, uh, she'll be a good resource, you know, of, of what to do and things like that. But I just wonder what else is kind of information So she's still living on her own? Yes, sir. Wow. All right. And how often is someone able to look in on her? Uh, I go there at least two or three times a week. And does she have any medic alert device? Yes, she does. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, this is for reference for others since you already have one we have information about one that has no monthly monitoring cost on clark.com if anybody Uh needs a medical monitoring device so if you are checking on her she's got the medic alert then really what we're talking here i guess is how you would handle things at the time of her passing yes so does she have a will yes she does and when's the last time that will was looked at and or updated? It's been probably four or five years. Virtually nothing has changed in her uh, situation since then. All right. And does she have her own home? Does she own that or rent that? Uh, she owns her own home. She lives there by herself. And is it titled for someone in the family to inherit or... Virtually all her assets are in a uh, living trust. Okay. Are you the sole benefit of that trust or their siblings? Or? I, will, I will become a trustee uh, upon her passing. And then who will be the recipients of the benefit of that trust? Is it just you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would be me. All right. So as long as the documents are, 
have been properly drawn, accounts are properly titled, then you've done so much more than most people. Yes. And other than the the sadness you'll have at the passing of your mom, you're ready. Mm-hmm. So do you know bank accounts, things like that, are they properly titled? Yes. All right. So if the house is properly titled, bank accounts are, any insurance? She has a long-term policy that, that she's been paying into for some time. But no life um, insurance or anything like that? Uh, no. Okay. All right. I'm trying to think of what other things I should be asking you, because it sounds well, like you've you really done it. Um, sure. The, the thing that I'm most concerned about is, uh, you know, should I go over to her house and find her passed away? Um, who do I call? Um, well, you first, uh, in most jurisdictions, you'd call the police or the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And so it would all start from there. Has she told you what she'd like to have happen at the time of her passing in terms of a funeral, burial, cremation, donation, to, of, uh Medical. She has arrangements with a funeral home in another city that uh, she used to live uh, nearby. Uh, find out, yeah. find those documents, and find out what those call for, and see if it's still what she wishes. If that was done any amount of time ago, and uh, if she's open to conversation, if that is not an economical arrangement she's entered into. You might look at other things like looking at the website. You may have heard me talk about funerals.org. And I hope that your mom has many more years than her 88, but obviously she's had a good run as well. Best to you, and it's great for her that you're there to help take care of everything at the time she does pass away. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at Team Clark. Our podcast and radio show are produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. My TV producer is Leah Dunn. Clark.com is made possible thanks to Krista DiBiaz, James DeGal, John Crest, Theo Timu, Michael Timmerman, Craig Johnson, Beth Marcinko, Clara Bassanetto, John Jones, and Grace Del Rio. ClarkDeals.com, where you can find the best deals from around the web, is produced by Karis Brown, Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan, and Damon Marley. You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com, thanks to Sally McDonald, and our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff, and their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227 and this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening. Till next time.